going on, FA Nation? Welcome, welcome. Another edition of the NASCAR DFS podcast. We're talking Talladega this week. We're coming off Bristol Dirt. Matt, what did you think of Bristol Dirt? It was pretty much what we expected, but it also had significant viewership, so there's a fair chance it comes back next year. Yeah, um, it definitely had huge viewership. It was the most watched Bristol race um, of any kind, including the All-Star race since the spring of 2016, um, which is huge. It got over 4 million um, listeners, or sorry, viewers. And uh, as a whole, NASCAR is up 17% in ratings this year, which is huge. That's a massive jump over last year. Um, So that's all good news. And so for those of you who want to complain about an Easter uh, race that the drivers didn't seem to want to have any parts in, I don't think it's going anywhere. I honestly think they're going to run it on on Easter Sunday again next year. Um, Now, should there be some changes? Sure. I think they should get rid of the windshields. Um, I think that would benefit a lot of guys and visibility. Um, I think they got to get better about packing the track. Um, because clearly that sucked for the first 15 laps when they had to <laughs> stop and dig mud out of people's cars. Um, but overall, I thought it was a pretty, I thought it was a pretty fun race. Um, I thought it was better than last year, which had an artificial winner in my view. I mean, Logano was very fast in the last part of that race. Yeah, but he definitely got the advantage with single file restarts. Um, and that last lap was epic. Watching two dirt racers battle it out uh, was was fantastic. Um, and by the way, Kyle Busch, where the hell are the backing into wins t-shirts? Um, it's been four days now. I, I haven't seen you selling any of them, and that's definitely what you did on Sunday. You did tweet out a pretty cringy video. Um, just oh, it, it was it was ripping off Tom Brady and. Yeah, it was ripping off like Gronk and Brady when Brady had that one video. But anyway, my two big complaints regarding the Bristol race were, one, you couldn't pass in the bottom. Um, I mean, it was a fairly boring dirt race. I also think somebody tweeted out that this was like the slowest race on average in the yeah, last 30 just under 35 miles an hour on yeah. average speed. It was insane. Uh, so I will say that that does take into account caution laps. Too. Well, that's the other thing is that there were a lot of cautions. Uh, dirt racing. That's all fine, but I also have an issue with the fact that, like, after stage two, when they were in a rain delay, I didn't like how there was so much uncertainty regarding who was in the lead. Like, there just seemed like a lot right. of that rule was ridiculous. Like, how do the guys that stay out not get to the front and the guys who pit were automatically assumed to be the leaders? Because they were non-competitive pit stops, right? So you hold your position when you pit. (sighs) So regardless of what anybody else does, the fact that you pitted, as long as the yellow is out, keeps you in the lead. Once the green came out, then the shuffle happens I'm not saying I'm a fan of it. I'm just saying that's how it was explained. And I thought it was ludicrous that it took nearly a minute to get that across. And the fact that, like, half of the fans are rooting for one thing to happen and half of the fans are rooting for it to go green so that, like, 
your guy gets back to the lead. I don't know. That was pretty weird. Well, I understand they've only done two dirt races in two years, but I think that next year I would like to see strides made in overall preparation for the race and having just a better understanding. I'm kind of with you that I think they should just get rid of the windshields. Uh, they need to pack the track better. But even last year for the first race, remember like towards the end of the race when they were doing single file restarts? Yeah. Like it's it's like it always seems like there's there's this sense of making rules up on the fly to accommodate these races. Because I remember like on Sunday night they were doing a mandatory pit stop just so the teams could clean the dirt off the grill. And yeah. then I thought that was going to happen every 15 laps. Like it was just it was just absurd and. I don't know. I went to bed. I did not watch the final stage. I'll admit it. Like I was tired. I drove back from Florida that same day. And so I just wanted to go to bed and see if my DFS winnings would hold. And they did not. Yeah. Well, a lot of that had to do with uh, Chase Briscoe and Tyler Reddick in turn four getting wiped out. And look. Well, it also had to do with Ross Chastain's engine dying. Well, yeah, that also <laughs> sucked too. Um, you know, Chase Briscoe is going for a race win. I can't fault the guy for the move. It's what he's used to doing on dirt. Tyler Reddick saw it coming. You could see him move up the track in three to try to avoid the contact from Briscoe, and he just kept going. Um, Props to Reddick for keeping it on the track and nearly pulling off the win still. Um, Kyle Busch took it, coming from, I don't know, 3.2 seconds back on the final lap. Um, to, you know, barely edge out Tyler Reddick. And then props to Briscoe and Reddick for handling it on pit lane like they did. They walked up, shook hands. Um, Reddick actually said it was, like, he had to do better to avoid stuff. I'm like, no, man, <laughs> you're fine. You did what you needed to do. Briscoe got a little looser than he thought he was. So, um, I also enjoyed the fact that Ty Gibbs was catching flack all over the place on Sunday night. <laughs> Be like, see, that's how you handle stuff. Two dudes in the Cup Series, like, you know, basically lost it all in the final corner and no punches were exchanged. Um, you know, just shook hands and said it was all good. So that was an exciting final lap. Um, and now we go from one chaotic race to another. From one of the shortest tracks on the schedule to the longest track on the schedule. Not just uh, that. It's like we just went from three straight weeks of short track racing, and now we're just thrown back into the deep end with Talladega. Yeah, because we went from, what, Richmond and then Martinsville and then Bristol Dirt, and now we yeah. get the longest track on the schedule, 2.6 <clears throat> miles per lap in Talladega. It's also the fastest on the schedule. Um, and, yeah, more plate racing. For the third time this season, we're going to see a plate race. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, you know, probably closer to Daytona than Atlanta, I would assume. Yeah. I don't really I know agree. what to do with Atlanta, to be honest. I, <laughs> I don't think anybody knows what to do with Atlanta right now. Um, so yeah, I think it'll behave much more like a Talladega that we're used to, much more like Daytona that we're used to. Um, and, yeah, pure chaos is likely to ensue. So if you never listen to a Super Speedway podcast from us, well, welcome. Uh, but the other one is these podcasts tend to be a little bit shorter. We will talk about a few drivers, um, the ones that are sneaky good. 
uh, plate racers and the ones that are the more obvious uh, plate racing targets like Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin to an extent. Um, I don't know. Hamlin's mostly more of a Daytona guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing is that some of the guys that you know from other plate tracks might not be the best play here because there are very interesting splits. Uh, between Talladega and Daytona. For whatever reason, you would think they would race the same, but that extra .16 miles makes a difference, I guess. I don't know. Um, so we may not touch on all the drivers, but you know we'll still have the playbooks out this weekend for both races, Xfinity races Saturday, Cup races Sunday. More so, Matt and I will try to just ingrain in you just lineup theory this week. We don't know the starting order yet. Um, this is a week where you can leave anywhere from three to 10 grand on the table. And, you know, we don't normally advise that in, you know, on most weeks, but this is a week where you can just leave money on the table and take down a GPP. It's just how it works. Um, rarely does it happen where you spend and use all your salary and you take something and you take down the tournament. If anything, you want the leverage, you know, let the field spend all the money. You know, there's, I remember for Daytona, there was something like, 25% 25% of lineups spent at least 99.4% of the budget. So, I mean, if you're That's just leaving money on the table, <laughs> yeah, if you're leaving money on the table, there's a fair chance you're already getting leverage. Right. Um, but so let's dig, dig in. It's a super speedway race. There's no practice for either series this week. Which let's is fine. Quick, to yeah, it's fine. Nobody wants to wreck their cars. First of all, you can't take anything from practice speeds at Daytona or Talladega. It doesn't matter because it all depends on where you are in the draft as to, like, what your fastest speed is, right? Like, if you watch practice at Daytona, you rarely see the guys that are in the front of the pack setting the fastest pace because they're breaking the, the you know, they're punching the hole in the wind for everybody else. So the guys that are three or four rows deep are usually the ones setting the fastest lap, and then everybody goes, oh, those guys are fast. Well... Yeah, it's because where they were in the draft. So, A, practice doesn't matter here. And B, nobody wants to practice here because one falls move at practice and your entire weekend is ruined because you can still wreck out just like you can in the race, except it's practice and you don't get any credit for it. Um, So it's not a shock that there's no practice. To be frank, I don't really think they need practice with drafting at this point. Uh, They got entire speed weeks for Daytona. They got practice at Atlanta, which basically ran the same package. So that's not a big deal. We will get qualifying runs uh, for both series. Now, those are single lap, single car qualifying. They're not group qualifying. Um, So, again, it's whoever can set the fastest single lap is going to be on the pole. Doesn't necessarily translate to the race. So don't just go, oh, this guy's on the pole. He's going to. Lead a bunch of laps. That's not what's going to happen at all. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of the lay of land here. It's a very fast, very big, very heavily banked track that a lot of big crashes happen at. Uh, all right, so let's just break down your lineup strategy. <clears throat> we don't know the starting order yet. Qualifying will be... Well, for Xfinity, qualifying is, I think, Friday. It's Saturday, it's Saturday morning for Cup, right? And then there's yeah. the ARCA race. Okay. So, knowing lineup theory uh, for to take down a GPP, you really need to find a way to differentiate your build. For cash games, you'll see a lot of guys just stack the back and start 
drivers that are starting outside the top 30 and hoping that they move up and gain enough PD to at least, you know, finish in the green for cash contests. That's fine for cash, but it's not necessarily an optimal play in terms of finding the high upside uh, in GPPs. You will need to mix in guys starting in the top 10 to 15. You'll need a couple guys starting between 15 and 25. And then after that, you can probably start two or three guys outside the top 20 to 25. You know, it's, it's trying to find the right mix of one, making your lineup unique and still getting enough PD plays and the winner in your build. Yeah. Um, so, you know, doing <clears throat> a little digging preliminary research and stuff, there's a fairly good bit of uh, knowledge that, we, that can be gleaned from Twitter. Actually, there's quite a good Twitter, quite a good, sorry, quite a good amount of folks <laughs> out there uh, tweeting some good, some good race strategy here. Um, including this one, which put together where each driver in the optimal lineups for the last 10 non-shortened Talladega races, so it's not including the one that Bubba Wallace won last year, which was shortened. Um, you know, putting where those guys started and showing you, A, how much money was left over, B, where they, you know, how you're building your lineups. And generally speaking, most of your drivers are going to come from starting spots 21 through 30. Right. There's going to be a smattering of them coming from, you know, 11th through 20th. But in general, the whole theory of let's just take the guy starting 35th on back doesn't necessarily pay dividends. Sometimes those guys move up, but not as often as you might think. And then you're just leaving money on the table for no reason. So, um, you know, we're going to pay attention to where some guys are starting. You're going to try to correlate their. <clears throat> their plate track history with where they're starting and, you know, narrow your pool down to that core group. Now I will also say we are not building off of, you're not going to put the same core of drivers in every line. That's not going to happen this week. Yeah. Really spread your exposure. Yes. Do not go over like 30%. Um, you know, shares of of any one particular driver so if you're playing 10 lineups i wouldn't put the same driver in more than three of them even if you think it's the lock of the century that like ryan blaney screwed up and he's starting 40th i'm not putting him in more than three even in that scenario right um because anything can happen here literally anything can happen um so i hate to be you know Short with you guys on Discord this week, but if you ask me what do I think of this lineup, I'm going to tell you it's fine because literally any lineup can hit. When Matt and I went to, and just to give credit to the guy who made the uh, graphic right. about the last 10 day donors, uh, that's Ryan Stevens uh, yes. on Twitter. He's at Han Yolo. That's H A H N Y O L O. Uh, really neat table that he threw together, and it breaks down uh, aside from last fall's rates really shows how many drivers, you know, were in the optimal lineup that started 1 through 10, 11 through 20, 21 through 30, 31 through 40, and the average salary that was used. Uh, but going back to what were we talking about before I cut you off? What Just that, that you were being short every lineup. Okay, so right. as an example of uh, any lineup really being viable, uh, when Matt and I went to Daytona back in 2019, you know, we were in our hotel room and we were just building lineups and 
just kept building lineup after lineup, leaving anywhere from like ten to you know two thousand dollars on the table. Every lineup, yeah, we were pretty much saying, yeah, this lineup could hit too. That's filled with guys offering PD. That's filled with good plate racers. You know, so any lineup can work. Just let it make sure that there is there's enough theory behind it. You don't want too many right. guys starting towards the front. You could. I don't think you absolutely need to start the pole sitter by any means. Kyle Larson was like 22% owned in the Daytona 500 in the big GPP. And he led maybe one lap, had seven fastest laps, and he finished outside the top 30. So you just don't need to necessarily go the way of having the pole sitter. But they can win here. It's happened twice in the last 11 races or so. But it's just get PD in your lineup and try to find some really good leverage plays in there because I'm the kind of person that always preaches. I'd rather look at ownership projections and and find out where the leverage is in the field rather than, you know, looking at projections for a race. And I think that's more true than ever for Daytona and Talladega. Like I'd rather find the good leverage plays that no one's going to be on. Right. Um, And to, to go off of that, in the last eight Talladega races, and we're just looking at Talladega races because there is some interesting splits between Talladega and Daytona. Guys that are good at one aren't necessarily good at the other and vice versa. Um, Joey Logano in the last eight Talladega races leads uh, all active drivers in average laps led per race at 27 and a half. There's like 160 laps in this race. So... Mm -hmm. Um, clearly laps led can be a differentiator, but it's not like we're hunting laps led as you don't win unless you have the laps led leader. That's not, that's not the case here because drafting, it's very hard to hold the lead for more than five, 10 laps at a time. Um, so it's something to differentiate guys, but it's not something to hunt like we have been in the last three weeks because short tracks are an entirely different strategy than plate racers Um, how likely do you think it is that they could possibly just run a significant portion of laps just single file just to get to stage three get to the last 20 laps and then drivers start making their move i think we see it a lot in stage two i think stage one you see a lot of double file um for i would say the first half of the race um we might see a comp caution because there was no practice oh good call might see that in stage one um and so if that's the case, I think all of the laps up to the comp caution would be double file. Then I think you'll see maybe a handful in stage one run under single file until they start trying to fight for the stage points again. Um, then most of stage two is generally going to be run under single file, just the way that these races flow and whatnot. And then in stage three, when the energy really starts kicking up and people are going for the win, you'll start to see it fan out and get two and three wide um that's that's again generally how the flow of plate races work it's not always the case um by the way one of the only caution free the fastest race ever run in the history of nascar was a caution free talladega race like 25 years ago (laughs) um they do happen occasionally not all that often we did see stewart house run away with this thing a few years ago when they went one two three four and nobody could catch him. But that was a different car. And again, Stuart Haas, not that great right now. Um, so, yeah, th- you know, to go off of what Dan was saying, you can't just 
you know, it's not going to be contrarian to put five guys in the top ten and just hope that they stick up there. That's really not a great play. It's almost stupid. Right? <laughs> uh, you're going to put at max one guy in the top ten mm-hmm. in your lineup. Then you're going to put a few guys 11 through 20, uh, probably like three dudes, three or four guys, 21 through 30, and then probably just one guy starting 31st on back. That's generally how you're going to do it. So how you differentiate yourself is like what Dan was saying. You try to get on the guys that nobody's necessarily thinking to play, right? There are chalky guys. One of them we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um there are very good plate racers that a lot of people are going to, you know, put in their, their lineups fairly regularly. But this is a week to go with the guys you never play because who knows what the hell happens and they can wind up shocking you. And at some point you'll look at the top 10 and you'll be like, I have no idea who 80% of this top 10 is because of the way things shuffle out at these races. All right. Do you want to start talking about a few drivers? Yep. Cool. Uh, I guess we'll start with Ryan Blaney. Uh, he's won at Daytona since 2019. He's won at Talladega twice. He is the most expensive driver in the field. I don't know. I am a little inclined to fade him, just assuming that so many people will be on him. And I went light on Denny Hamlin at Daytona, and that kind of worked out for me, and I'm hoping it's kind of the same thing with Ryan Blaney. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the spirit of leaving money on the table, it's relatively easy to fade the most expensive dude on the, on the board. Although price isn't really an issue this week because of the back, you know, the cheap dudes that we're going to be loading up on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being a little lighter on the field on Ryan Blaney might be a good call. Um, he has won twice here, but since he's won. So like, here's the weird thing about Ryan Blaney, right? Here's his last eight finishes at Talladega. 18th, 29th, 15th. First, first, 25th, 9th, and 15th. So, yeah, he's got two wins, but he only has one other top 10 aside from those two wins in the last eight races. So, he's like either going to win it or he's going to finish mid pack, which doesn't help you at all. Uh, what's the approach with Denny Hamlin this week? Gonna... I don't understand how some drivers can be good at Daytona and then not great at Talladega. Ask the Penske ones because, like, like Kislowski had that too. Like, if you looked at Kislowski's stats and everybody went, oh, he's going to average finish of like fourth at plate races. Well, yeah, that's because all of them were at like Talladega and he sucked at Daytona. And Logano's the opposite. So I'm with you. I don't know how you could be good at one and not the other, but. <laughs> and I can't <laughs> say that Hamlin's necessarily terrible at Talladega because no. he won here in the fall of 2020. And then uh, yeah. in June, same year, he grabbed a top five. Um, all right. But then so, he backed it up with a 30 seconds. So. Yeah. Um, Overall, is the approach this week, you know, Team Penske, they're a notable super speedway team. They always set the cars up pretty well. Um, Do you feel okay about a Penske stack? I mean, yeah. yeah. Austin Cindric won the Daytona 500. (laughs) So, and Blaney's won here twice. Logano's the laps led leader in the field and hasn't finished, you know, he's mostly finished in the top 17 in the last eight races two of them he wrecked out um but you know everybody's got those blemishes so i would say that fords are going to be popular to play this week because they're just better pushers at plate races there's also they're like they represent almost half the field well they do um 
but there's just like they they can just push better than the Chevys. Like the front of their car is designed to push better than the Chevys. I don't know any other way to describe it other than the front bumper and the rear bumper of the Fords line up better than the front bumpers and rear bumpers on any other you know manufacturer. So I actually like that you're we're discussing manufacturers right now because I do want to talk about Toyota. There's only six Toyotas in the whole field. They will pit together. They will try to run together coming out of the pits, but they will not be as fast as the draft that comes up and eventually passes them. Um, but I'm not avoiding. I'm not avoiding Toyotas though. Would you maybe avoid Toyota stacks? I would probably put no more than two Toyotas in a lineup together. Okay. I would put. Now, to be clear, there is no rule against you could put all six Fords in a lineup together. There's no, it's not like team stacking in any other sport where you can't do more than like four dudes, right? Um, there's no rule on DK. Uh, you cannot fit them all together. <laughs> what, all six Toyotas? Yeah. Probably not because they bumped up Bubba to like an $8,100 driver, which makes sense. I mean, he is a good plate racer. He's a very good plate racer. In fact, at Daytona, he almost won. He and his spotter were calling the moves for the rest of the Toyotas. Like he was the lead Toyota, and for good reason. The guy is a very good plate racer. Say what you will about every other style of racing, especially road racing. He's very good at plate tracks, and you know, yeah, it was a range-shortened race that he won at Talladega. However. He drove from 20th to 1st in, like, the last 20 laps of that race and held people off knowing that the rain was coming and people were fighting for that lead knowing that the race was going to get called. So, um, I tend to like the 23XI guys this week. Kurt's been a little up and down at at, uh, Talladega, but, you know, it's a plate race. Can't count anybody out. Clearly, I like Bubba quite a lot this week. Um, Brad Kozlowski hasn't been great this year, but he has been looking better, and he he was very good at Daytona though because he was he, very good at Daytona. He led sixty-seven I mean, laps. In fairness to him, he wrecked out half the field, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did give himself an advantage. Um, but I mean, he's a good plate racer. We can't, you know, he knows what he's doing on these tracks, and on a track at which. Um, it doesn't really matter what you bring to the track in terms of car setup. It's going to do well. That's an equalizer for a guy who desperately needs a win to do anything for, in terms of the postseason here. Um, so, you know, those are a few of the uh, I guess probably more commonly known plate racers. Do you have any guys that you think might be a sneaky... Uh, I do, but I also know that you really wanted to discuss the Wendy's mobile this week. So what are your thoughts on Noah Gragson at 5,400? And then Uh, I can throw some names out there too. So, yeah, he's, so let me, let me be perfectly clear. I'm pretty sure the Wendy's car is in the Xfinity race, not the cup race. I'm pretty sure. I thought I saw the number 62 on that. Oh, so then it is the cup race. By the way, go check out the driver suit he's going to be wearing. It's phenomenal. It looks like an old-school Wendy's uniform with the pale blue and white stripe, you know, vertical stripes on top. And then, yeah, just props to Noah Graxon for just 
you know, <laughs> rocking that as hard as he can. Um, Gregson's just the kind of driver that you want to see on a plate track, right? Mm-hmm. He's got that aggression. He knows when to make moves. He's done pretty well at these tracks and um, in other series. Um, didn't quite go so well at the Daytona 500, but he was running better than his finish indicates. So, um, so you know, I don't necessarily... He's he's the kind of guy that might get overlooked simply because of who he's around. Um, because, like, a guy like Corey LaJoy is a fairly popular plate racer. We were talking about that before the podcast. Of the active cup drivers at Super Speedways, Corey LaJoy, since 2019, has the 7th best average finish. And he finished 14th at Daytona after starting 24th. So, he finished... Yeah, I mean, he started 29th, and the, these aren't, like, phenomenal finishes by any means, but, you know, last fall he started 29th, finished 22nd. He finished 22nd a year ago at Dega. Uh, but he also has finishes of 16th, June of 2020, 7th, October 2019, 11th, uh, April 2019. And at Daytona, he has a couple top 10s, and, and he's – I won't necessarily say that he's a great plate racer, but he is very good at just avoiding the big one and just not wrecking. Yeah, also, by the way, last week, he was involved in, like, six wrecks and stayed on the track. So, like, <laughs> the dude is, like, the kryptonite for wrecking. I don't know. It's And, by the way, for what it's worth, he also pulled off a top five at Atlanta. I know that was a crapshoot of a race, and, like, three-quarters of the field was wrecked out. Um, but he started 33rd and finished fifth. So, speaking about avoiding wrecks, did a pretty good job at Atlanta. Um, so, you know, Corey LaJoy is down there. Um, Justin Haley is a very well-known plate racer. I mean, for a while, that's basically the only wins that guy got. <laughs> First race we ever went together, he won. Right. Um, <laughs> thanks to pit strategy, which Brian Blaney referenced when talking about Bubba Wallace's win last year. He's, Blaney said, it's not like the guy wanted on a last lap pit stop that he didn't pit for. Um, AKA Justin Haley at the 2019 Daytona July race when Kurt Busch Unbeknownst to everybody else, decided to pit for yeah. some <clears throat> awful reason. Uh, David Reagan is a pretty well-known plate racer. He's also down in this area. So, like, if you're looking to get funky with things, Noah Gregson is a guy that you can get funky with. And if he has a good day, you're going to be ahead of everybody else who's not going to play him very well. Um, my guy is Ty Dillon. And I know I tend to bring him up a lot because it's been short tracks and whatnot. But the guy, this racing style fits him. Um, You know, he started 26, finished 11th at Daytona. Okay. In the last eight, in the last eight Talladega races, Ty Dillon doesn't have a finish worse than 17th. And in the last one, he finished third. So this is a guy that's starting, you know, aside from one race where he started 13th, which, by the way, he that was the race he finished 17th. Aside from that one race, he's finished, he's started 21st or worse, and most of the time he's 28th or worse starting. And then he's going to finish better than 17th. So this is a guy that just knows how to stay on the track, keep the car clean, move up through the field. I will say the only thing I don't like about Ty Dillon, and we talked about this earlier, is that I don't think he's going to necessarily be a good leverage player or... Right, because he's um, getting popular. 
He's getting very popular. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people just need to go on driveraverages.com and just see what he's done on super speedways. But he's been a really good DFS value the last four weeks. He was phenomenal at Daytona. He started 26, finished 11th. He was 5,300 and got 48 points. So I'm going to play him in one or two lineups, but I don't want to go crazy with exposure because I'd rather be looking at other value plays that I'm just hoping – if if I'm if I'm gonna be under the weight if I'm gonna be underweight compared to the field on Ty Dillon then yeah I hope he gets caught up in a wreck and just goes backwards because he will be very popular this weekend. Right. Also, he's coming off a top ten at the dirt race last weekend with seven fastest laps, so it's not like he's yeah. flying under the radar, right? He comes in <clears> with a top ten. Guys hit value in almost every race for the last four weeks. Um, pretty good chance he's gonna hit value again. At 6100 because for some reason they dropped his price on DK a hundred bucks compared to last weekend. Um, so, you know, this is one of those races where you just got to get funky with stuff. Um, Austin Dillon tends to be a pretty good plate racer. Eric Amarola's out there. But, like, you can still play guys like Harvick and Truex and Bell and Briscoe. And, like, everybody's in play this week. Yeah. You just have to be smart about how you build your lineup. That's basically what it comes down to. We're not stacking the back like we, you know, like a lot of people tend to do here, which is, oh, these guys are all starting 34th or worse. I'm just going to put them all in a lineup and go. That's probably not going to win. May do okay in cash, but it's not going to win in GPPs. Yeah. cash Even cash games are kind of being becoming a little more difficult to play at super speedways now. Yeah. Um, just because like before ever anyone knew about stack the back, that was like an easy strategy for cashing in 50 fifties and double ups. But I think like anytime we've previewed Daytona or Talladega in the last year or two, we've kind of just come to terms with the fact that it we're, I'm only playing GPPs on, I haven't played cash games in quite some time. Uh, I think it might've been Richmond was the last time, but like, this is just a week I'm going to do, 10 lineups in the chrome horn and call it a week and i've pretty much just been saving bankroll the last two weeks yeah i mean i'm gonna play a little bit of cash and i'm gonna enter probably very similar lineups in cash and gpp simply because my strategy here doesn't really change based on contest selection because it's not a week where you have to chase laps led uh fastest laps are impossible because again it depends on where you are in the draft mm -hmm. like you're going to see, like, basically everybody wind up with the fastest lap this week. Like, <laughs> it's going to be insane. Um, so, Dominator points are out the window. All you're needing is guys to finish. And, by the way, if you have, like, two dudes wreck out, you still have a very good chance of cashing. Like, very good. Like, at Daytona, I think we saw somebody win with, like, two cars still on the track. Yeah. Um, now, it takes an awful lot of cautions to make that happen. But... That's what they market this race on. So um, it's probably going to be a shorter playbook for me this week because I'm going to probably write up to several dudes that I'm very, you know, strong about. And then everybody else is in play. So if you don't see a guy in a playbook, it doesn't mean that I'm completely off of him. Just means I felt very strong about, like, building with this core and then sprinkling in everybody else.
Yeah, it's not necessarily about who's in the playbook or who isn't in the playbook. It's it's right. really this is Talladega and Daytona are all lineup theory. They're, that's all it is. Yep. All right, Matt. Anything else you wanted to touch on? I know these are normally shorter podcasts, but we still went thirty six minutes. Um. Yeah, we got F one this weekend. Oh, we do have F one. Yes, we do have F one. It's uh, Imola, which is in Italy. For those of you who are not familiar with it, and you can expect a very raucous crowd, considering the fact that Ferrari has had a redonkulous start to the season. Um, Leclerc is about 40 points ahead in the driver championship right now, which is pretty impressive. Um, Ferrari's either won or finished second in all three races so far. Um, and this is Ferrari's home race, so they're going to be pretty pumped to see the the Scuderia up at the top of the leaderboard there. Um and weather could be a factor. And last year, we saw weather be an absolute factor in this race. It was insane. People sliding all over the place, wrecking out. Um, so it's going to be fun. I'll have the normal coverage for F1 DFS. A um, little bit different format this week in terms of how the field is set. I'll go over that in the playbook. Race is at, I believe, 9 a.m. Eastern time, yep. Sunday morning. Um, and then I'm pretty sure the Talladega is at like three Eastern Sunday afternoon. So we get a little bit of a break there between F1 and NASCAR. Um, but yeah, I'll have the normal stuff and, um, we might in fact be getting some homegrown F1 stats coming to the site. Uh, that's being worked on at the moment. So to pair with NASCAR stat tables, uh, we may also be getting F1 stat tables, too. So that's pretty exciting. And uh, I'll have normal betting pieces up for both NASCAR and F1 uh, over on PixWise. And, yeah, everything except for the example lineups and projections are free again this week. So we'll have a whole bunch of stuff rolling out on Saturday. That's when a whole bunch of the content's going to come out. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Matt, awesome stuff. Uh, we will be in the Discord this weekend. So, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you and best of luck to the FA Nation. Best of luck, FA Nation.